0: You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening. And if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Praise the Lord. Well, I love each and every one of you, and I'm so glad that you're here today. We're going to have a great time in the Word. And are you hungry for some Word today? You know, Jesus said that the Word of God is the bread of life. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so God's Word is life. I love the book of Proverbs in chapter 4, and I I pray this and quote it uh, pretty much every day. But the Bible says that the Word is life to those that find it and health are medicine to all their flesh. And you know what? I take my medicine every day. I have some that the doctor prescribed for me. I take that. But I also take God's medicine every day. And I believe that that God's medicine is at work in my body just the same or more powerfully than the other. And uh, so, but it is medicine. Uh, you know, your Bible might say healing, but in the Hebrew it actually could be, and most Bibles in the center will say uh, medicine there. But God's Word is life to all of us. And so I just encourage you, look at it that way. And every time you feed on it, you know, have an attitude of faith. And, and this is what I pray. I say, Lord... I thank you that your word is at work in my spirit. I thank you that your word is at work in my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions. And I thank you that your word is at work in my flesh and bringing about healing and, and the life of God. Amen. Well, welcome. This is week number four in our series called Love Never Fails. Does love ever fail? No, it doesn't. Amen. Well, let's take a look. If you, Oh, by the way, if you came in and didn't get a handout, if you need one, we have some extras in the back. We'll get one to you if you need a pen. We'll get a pen to you. Uh, but um, I, I want to just say this. The, um, the message this week and maybe the next couple of weeks could be very interesting. And what do I mean by that? Well, I mean it could be uh, challenging for us in the sense of It's going to kind of get down where we live. And you know, um, the Word, let me say it to you another way. If every time uh, we come together and I minister a message or a sermon to you, um, there ought to be some times when it makes you feel uncomfortable, okay? Because the Word ought to challenge us. Not every time, but there are going to be times where the Word challenges us and And uh, because that's where we end up growing, that's where maturity comes from. And so I'm just going to prep you and say that this message and the next couple are probably going to be a little bit like that. So will you do me a favor? Will you promise me that you'll be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only? Thank you for those three people. Uh, Will you promise me that what you hear you'll incorporate into your life? Let me say it that way. Okay. All right. Well, let's read our foundation scripture for this series. It's found in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, verses 4 through 8. And I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. And so, uh, as I have said every week, this is the standard. This is God's standard of love and how we are to conduct our lives in the love of God. So here we go. Verse 4 says this, love endures long long. And is patient and kind, love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. Love is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude or unmannerly and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. For it is not self-seeking, it is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love, bless you, love bears up under anything and everything that comes is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. And say these last three words with me love never fails. So if we make the decision that we're gonna go the love route, then, then the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, has assured us that that route is a route that will never fail. So when you and I choose to, to walk in the love of God, to walk in love the way that God has told us to, then he has promised us that love will never fail. How many of you have known from experience that sometimes it's when we do stuff in our flesh and our own strength and our own, our own ability that that's, what, that's where failure comes from? I think with me, you know, listen, anything that I've tried to do Out of my flesh, especially where relationships come from or or, are based, uh, you know, a a lot of that ends up in failure, okay, because you're trying to go at it in a way that's different than the way God wants us to go at it. So, in this sermon today and the next couple of weeks, I'm going to do what's called an expository message to where we're going to break, and the Holy Spirit really led me to do this. I wanted to go in a different route And as I was praying and studying and and, uh, getting things together for today, it just seemed that he wanted to take me back to these scriptures we just got through reading and go through them line by line and break them down for us because our tendency is we want to gloss over some things. And as we do that, sometimes we miss some of the details that uh, the Holy Spirit intends for us to get. Now I will say this: um, I never plagiarize another man's material, or uh, plagiarize—maybe not—is the correct word. I never use another man's material without trying to give him credit. So, uh, a lot of what we're going to talk about over today and over the next couple of weeks is going to come from this book here. It is uh, "Sparkling Gems from the Greek, Volume One" by Pastor Rick Renner. Pastor Renner is a Greek scholar. He, uh, he knows the Greek language inside and out. For those of you who may not uh, be familiar, the New Testament was originally written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek, and then translated primarily to Greek before it, you know, down through the years became English and so forth. And so a good understanding and, and maybe a, uh, a basic understanding of the Greek language will help you understand the New Testament and things that are in it. Because the, the Greek language is, it's a wonderful language. It's a whole lot more pictorial, if you will, than the English language is. Okay, so by the way, this book is a, is a great devotional book. Uh, and you can get it in Kindle format or, or hard copy if you'd like. But what he does is he takes uh, a portion of New Testament scripture and uh, one portion every day, and he breaks down the, the meaning of it in the Greek so that it, it just explodes as far as the depth of the scriptures are concerned. So I highly recommend this for a daily devotional for you if you're looking for one. But uh, I find it is a great reference to use as I'm studying, uh, you know, and I can go back and I can look at some of these things and really boil it down as we're going to with First Corinthians 13th chapter, all right? Uh, I want to ask you a question, okay? How many of you love fall weather, okay? You know, I, I walked outside this morning, and it was a little cooler, and man, it felt good. I mean, I, I, I wish, you know, uh, of course, I know there are days coming, but uh, you know, it would have been a great day to sit out on the deck of my apartment and, and just drink my coffee out there and, and enjoy the coolness of the day. But I love this time of year. You might be a spring person. Uh, I don't know of anybody that thoroughly enjoyed all this heat we've been having. Anybody, you thoroughly enjoyed that? If you did, you're weird. Okay. Uh, but God bless you anyway. But no, I, just, I love this time of year. How many of you have a favorite food that you love? Holler out and tell me what it is. Somebody tell me. See, now y'all scared. Don't act scared. What, what is your favorite food? Chicken, okay. Fried chicken, what? Oh, yeah, fried chicken. How about fried fish, Gail? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I felt it, I felt it over here, too. Anybody else? You got a favorite food that you love? Okay, spaghetti, okay. Anything else? All right, how many of you, uh, you know, if you're married, you love your spouse? Okay, Uh, the correct answer is yes, okay, just especially if your spouse is sitting here with you, all right, the correct answer, let me help you, is yes, oh, I love my spouse. Okay, how many of you have other family members that you love? All right, now here's my point in saying all of that. Have you ever thought about, in the English language, I use the same word for Fried chicken, fried fish, spaghetti, uh, your spouse, you know, the time of year when I said, Do you love that? See, in the English language, we have one word that we use that we use on the same level as I love fried fish as I love my mama. And trust me, I don't love fried fish to the level that I love my mother. Or, you know, if your spouse or whatever. So what I, that's a perfect way to illustrate to you because we're going to look at some things. I want to give you the four primary words in the Greek language that are translated into our one word, love, in the English language so that you can have an understanding. Okay? Are you ready? If you're writing, take, take some notes now. Here we go. The first one is the Greek word Storge. And by the way, there will be a pop quiz after this, so be prepared. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, but this will help you a little bit to understand this. So the first word is storge. And by the way, this word in the Greek language does not appear anywhere in the New Testament. Somebody said, well, why are you sharing it with us? Because you need to understand it because we equate all love to be the same thing. And you need to understand there's a difference. So Storge love is a natural love that family members have for one another. Now, what this means in the Greek language is, um, you know, I have family members that um, I love from afar. Anybody else, you got some family members you love from afar? Okay. Now, listen, I may not enjoy being in their presence all the time, but let me tell you something. If they ever needed me, I'm there for them. Why? Because we're... Family, all right. That's what Storge love is. It's a it's a love of family. It's a it's an affection that takes place between family members. Uh, I read one commentary where it said that uh, Storge love is the kind of love that your dog might express to you if you have a dog. Uh, You know, it's a it's a it's a valid type of love. But it's interesting to me that that type of love is used nowhere in the New Testament. But you need to understand it because you need to be able to understand that it's different from the others that we have. Here's the next one. The next Greek word for love is the Greek word eros. And this one also does not appear anywhere in the New Testament. But the Greeks used it to express love. And it is a physical and sexual kind of love. Now, you might know there's other words that come out of that Greek word eros. You know, we use it in our English language for erotic and those types of words. But uh, this is truly a physical love or attraction. Now, this can have a positive or negative meaning. And, of course, God designed eros to happen in the context of, context of marriage. And this is the physical attraction that can happen between a husband and wife And uh, here's the problem, though, is the world calls this love when it's not really love in the sense of, and let me explain what I mean. Um, You know, have you ever known of a couple that got together and maybe even went as far as to get married, and when the physical attraction was gone, they thought the marriage was done? Because the eros left. Because eros is basically uh, based on physical attraction only, all right? And so, but you know, here, uh, you know, we, have, we see people in the, the media all the time, you know, famous people that get divorced and, and, and uh, you know, it happens when they get older and, and they use this thing called irreconcilable differences, and let's just base it or say it as it is your whole relationship was based on a physical attraction, and when that went out the window, so did your relationship. Okay? Now, God's love is not any of these so far. All right, now here, let's go to this next one. Here's the third Greek word that's used for love, and it's phileo. Phileo. And this is an emotional friendship love. It is an affection between two people. Now, this is similar to Storgate, but it goes a little bit deeper in the sense of everybody, anybody ever had a best friend? I mean, you ride or die, okay, you know, and you would do anything for that person and it's, it's deeper than maybe one of those uh, family relationships. Anybody ever heard of a city called Philadelphia? Okay, well, what is Philadelphia known as? The city of brotherly Love, Because the name Philadelphia comes from this Greek word, phileo. Now let me tell you a little side note about this word phileo. And uh, you remember an encounter that Jesus had with Peter on the beach after Jesus was raised from the dead. And you remember Peter and John and James were out in the boat fishing. And uh, Jesus walked up on the shore. They didn't realize it was Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, throw your nets out on the other side of the boat. And they did, and, and all of a sudden, and by the way, they'd been fishing all night and hadn't caught anything. Jesus hollers out to them and said, throw them on the other side of the boat. So they threw them on the other side of the boat, and all of a sudden, their nets were full, and they were pulling them into the boat. And Peter looked, and all of a sudden, it dawned on him, this is Jesus. And so the Bible says that he, uh, he uh, when they were out fishing, it was just those men, and so you know, not to be too crude, but he had stripped down to basically his underwear in the boat. And so the Bible says that he threw his clothes on, and then he jumped in the water and he swam to shore to meet with Jesus. And when Jesus, when they got to Jesus, Jesus had a fire already prepared, was broiling some fish for him and some bread, and uh, they, uh, they had breakfast. Right there. And then after they finish breakfast, Jesus pulls Peter aside and has a conversation with Peter. Somebody tell me, how many times did Peter deny Jesus just a few days before, a couple days before? How many? Three. Three times. Okay. Do you remember in this conversation with Jesus, Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds to Jesus and says, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, feed my sheep. He asked him another time. He said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus answered and said, feed my lambs. And then the third time, Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? And the Bible says that Peter was bothered. Because Jesus asked him this third time, do you love me? Well, let me tell you what really happened. Because again, in the English language, we miss it. The word that Jesus used, we're going to talk about in just one second. But Jesus said this the first two times. Peter, do you agape me? Do you really love me the way God loves? And Peter responded and said, Lord, you know I, I phileo you. And Jesus asked him again, he said, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter responded and said, Lord, you know I phileo you. Meaning, you know I love you like, I mean, we're brothers, okay? And here's what happened. The third time, Jesus said, Peter, do you phileo me? And what bothered Peter about that question was the fact that Jesus lowered his standard of love to Peter's standard, and that hurt Peter. Now, there was a reason that Jesus asked him that three times. Again, how many times did Peter deny the Lord? So Jesus gave him three times to declare, Lord, you know, I love you. But what happened is, Peter could only relate to Jesus at the moment in a brotherly kind of love, not the God kind of love. And that brings us to the fourth word for love, and that is the Greek word agape. And it is the highest form of love. Anytime that you speak of the love of God towards his people, it is always in the New Testament, the Greek word agape, because it is a a word that loves, it's a love that loves selflessly, and sacrificially. It's a love that is so consumed with sacrificing in order to meet the needs of someone else. It so far supersedes all the other three types of love. And isn't it a shame that when you have these four words, you've got Christians, that their marriage is based on eros love when it should be based on agape love. And this is why Christian marriages end up in failure. And by the way, uh, this week and the next couple of weeks will be free marriage counseling for all of you who are married. Okay, so listen closely because I'm going to tell you, if you'll listen, I'm going to tell you how to have a marriage made in heaven. Anybody want that that's married? Okay, all right. Somebody says, well, how can you do that, Pastor? You're not married. Well, you know the Lord, and I've shared this with you before, but the Lord helped me with that several years ago. And, uh, because I was feeling kind of down. You know, I'm not married yet. And uh, so, you know, how can I effectively pastor married couples? Well, the Lord woke me up one day. uh, I mean, not literally, but I, you know, I, I woke up and saw the light. He said this. He said, did you know the two foremost authorities in the Bible on marriage? Neither one of them were married. Jesus talked a lot about marriage in his teachings. And the apostle Paul taught on marriage in depth in the in the New Testament neither one of them were married and what what am I saying to you listen the Holy Ghost knows how to have the best kind of marriage there is amen all right so let's talk about this agape love agape love and, and a lot of this is not included in your notes but if you know you can go back and you can listen to this and, and all of these notes are available online. But agape love is different from the other three types of love because it requires a decision. In other words, when the eros is gone, the storge is gone, and the phileo ain't exactly there, I can still make a decision to agape you. Do you understand what I'm saying? And when all the other things fade away, when that physical attraction kind of goes out the window one day because you wake up and there's your spouse with curlers and no makeup and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and the arrows go, goes out the window. Guess what? Agape is still there ready to keep that relationship solid. Come on now. All right. I told you it might get a little real. All right. So, Agape love will keep your relationship where it needs to be even when all the others, based on emotion and physical, are gone. Agape will keep you there. The word agape describes the love so completely different from what the world offers that it is only used in the New Testament to describe God's love. And that that love is what is deposited on the inside of us. The Holy Spirit, you remember we read the verse Romans 5, 5 that says the love of God is poured to overflowing within our hearts by the Holy Spirit. There is no way that that love that the Holy Spirit already deposited down on the inside of you is storge eros or phileo. It is only agape love because that is the love that counts. Now, agape love is a love, now listen to me carefully, that gives and gives and gives, even if it's never responded to, thanked, or acknowledged. Okay. Agape, somebody, somebody said, say that again. My spouse didn't hear it. All right. All right. Agape is a divine love that gives and gives and gives, even if it's never responded to, thanked, or acknowledged. How many of you, when you do something for somebody, you would like it, you know, some type of expression of appreciation? Okay. Yeah, that's just natural, human nature. That's not agape, though. Agape, listen, listen to me carefully. Think about this with me for just a moment. God did everything that he did through Jesus Christ, sending him to the cross to die that horrible death, to be buried and raised from the dead for you and for me. He did it with no guarantee that any human being would receive it, express thanks for it, or even acknowledge it. But he did it anyway that's the love of god you could say that agape is a love that isn't based on a response but on a decision to keep on loving regardless of the recipient's response or lack thereof <laughs> we're going to have fun with this hallelujah all right so here's what we want to do we want to you have the scriptures there on your notes the first corinthians 13:4 through 8 so i want to begin there are 15 characteristics that Paul gives us by the Holy Spirit. I'm not covering them all today. Relax, okay? It's <laughs> somebody like, 15? Oh, Lord. No, we're only going to talk about five of them today, all right? But let's break this down, and this is where the expository study comes in. So let's look at the first phrase there. It says, love endures long and is patient. The, and I'm not going to bother, I'm not going to give you the Greek words. If you want to know the Greek words, you can uh, go to Pastor Rick's uh, reference and get those yourself. But, but what's interesting, the Greek words that are, that are used by Paul here when it talks about that, that agape endures long, it's a compound word which, which is very interesting because one part of the word means anger And the other part of the word means extreme restraint. Meaning that that instead of responding out of anger, you apply restraint to that anger and you put it off. You put it away from you. And it endures a long time. The word that is used here is like a, a candle. Anybody ever had a candle with a very long wick in it and uh, what, when you have a candle that has a very long wick in it, what is it designed to do? Burn for a long time. Okay, well that is this, the word, the context that's used here. Because it, 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 the wick is very long, it's prepared to burn for a long time. So it's ready to forbear, listen to me, and patiently wait until a certain person finally comes around. Love endures long. Write this down, if you will, okay? Agape love doesn't throw in the towel and quit. Now, I guess I need to make this commentary, and I've already said this in this series, but I want to say it again so it's clearly misunderstood, or clearly understood, and that is this. I am in the context, and what we're studying here are relationships that are healthy or positive or the best that two human beings can make them. I am in no way saying, for instance, that that what we're looking at right here, love endures long, is in an abusive relationship or anything like that. So put that out of context. We're not talking about that. I've already told you, God does not intend for you to endure an abusive relationship. Amen? All right. But what we're talking about here is two people that are in a relationship. It might be a husband and wife. It might be, uh, you know, two friends. It might be family members. And, you know, on the surface, everything is okay. So what this says is that in our relationships, we have to learn through the love of God to not throw in the towel and quit when change does not take place immediately. Because how many of you know human nature is, it's okay for me to take 10 years to change, but I need you to change next week. Okay? The love of God does not respond that way. In fact, the harder the fight and longer the struggle, the more committed agape love becomes. Can I say it to you this way? Agape love is in it to win it. like a candle with that endless wick, it just keeps on burning and burning and burning for it never knows how to quit. This, of course, is contrary, as I said, to human nature. Human nature says, I'm sick and tired of waiting and believing if that person doesn't come around pretty soon, I'm finished with the relationship. I'm done, peace, I'm out. Okay? Now, again, if if the other person is just being human, okay? That's the context we're talking about here, all right? So love endures long and is patient means, the, the patient part means that you're consistent. You stay with it. Praying, believing, staying in faith. You know, and, and I, I just feel prompted to, to maybe address this, this question and I don't know if anybody wants to know this, but anyway, it's in my spirit, so I'm going to say it. The Apostle Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians, no, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the, the uh, issue if you have a saved spouse married to an unsaved spouse. Because what happened is, in the Corinthian church, you had two unsaved people. One of them would get saved, and the other one unsaved in the marriage relationship. And so what was happening is, is the people that would become Christians will say, well, you're not a Christian, so I can't stay married to you. I'm divorcing you just because you got saved. And Paul had to write the Corinthians and say, no, 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 don't do that. Paul had to straighten them out and had to say, listen, If you are saved and you live the way God wants you to live, your godly life can win that unsaved person. Okay? Now, you have to be in it to win it for that to take place. And I'm talking about if they're a good person, you know, they're just not saved. Now, you don't go into the relationship, you being saved and them unsaved, but if if the, if it happens in the context of that relationship that is not a reason to divorce. God can minister to that unsaved spouse and bring them into the kingdom is what I'm trying to say. But you've got to be willing to stay and to believe and to stay with it until that transpires. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. So love endures long And is patient. Let's look at the phrase, love is kind. Everybody say kind. Okay. Kindness uh, means this. Kindness means to be adaptable or compliant to the needs of others. Oh, I wish some Christians could learn that. How to be adaptable and compliant to the needs of other people. See, when you uh, are filled with agape love and and when it is working in your life, you don't demand that other people become like you. (laughs) Okay? Instead, agape makes you want to bend over backwards to become what, what others need you to be. Now, I'm not talking about compromising beliefs. What I'm talking about here is instead of you standing your ground why don't you get off your high horse and bend a little bit to become what they need you to be? I told you this is going to be free marriage counseling. All right? If, it's, if, if you don't plan, plan on being married or getting married, then it's free friend counseling, free cousin counseling, whatever you want to call it. All right? So here, write this down, please. Agape love has a willingness to serve and to change to meet the needs of others. You have to be willing to change. You cannot be stubborn and say, well, you know, I am the way that I am and you're just going to have to get over it. That is not the love of God. Okay? All right? So um, there's a phrase or a word in this particular sentence that I, I have you here. Agape love has a willingness to serve. You want me to tell you how to have a marriage made in heaven? Anybody want to know? I can summarize it in one phrase for you. Anybody want to know? Come back next week. No, I'm just kidding. No, here we go. Listen to me. Make up your mind, you're going to have a serving contest. I'm going to see if I can outserve you. If you get two people, two believers filled with the love of God that make up their minds, I'm going to serve you if it's the last thing that I do with every fiber of my being, with every breath that I take, I am going to serve you and you make up your mind, I'm I'm not going to let you outserve me. I promise you that's a marriage made in heaven. Okay? Now, here's what service is not in agape love, where you do something nice for somebody and then you stand there and wait for them to acknowledge you and say, thank you, Uh, you're so nice, all right? No, you remember, agape love just does it because I love you, whether you respond to it or not, okay? See, this is the complete opposite of selfishness and self-centeredness. So when Paul writes and he says, this love, agape, is kind. He really could say this, love doesn't demand others to be like itself. Rather, it is so focused on the needs of others that it bends over backwards to become what other people need me to be. You know, um, early on, and I'm talking about years and years and years ago when I started in ministry, um, I didn't understand this principle Very, very readily in the sense of um, I couldn't understand why people didn't necessarily want to be like me. Now, I'm not talking about the believer part of me, okay? Because, you know, it's not wrong for me to say follow me as I follow Christ, okay? So what I mean is this. What I had to learn is part of serving, part of being a minister, part of being effective, part of being a pastor is that I need to be willing to serve people regardless of the way people respond to my service. Because listen, <laughs> we were talking about in, during setup yesterday. Listen, uh, I've helped people move. I'm talking about. Physically shown up, helped them move furniture, and in six months they're gone from the church. Okay. Somebody said, mm. "What? No, it's just facts. It's just the way that it is." Now, here's what I can't do: is go sit in the corner and cry about it. Because why did I help them? Was my motive to get them to stay at the church? No, my motive was because I serve out of agape love. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right. So, if this is what Paul means when he says that love is kind, we must look in the mirror and ask ourselves, do I become what others need me to be, or do I demand that others be like me? The person walking in agape love adapts to those around him in order to touch them, help them, and impact them in a meaningful way. You know, I, I wish that the church could learn this in, in the sense of um, you can love people without compromising what you believe. Okay, in other words, let me say it to you this way, okay? This might shock some of you. I have friends who are gay, and you know what? Whenever I'm around them, I don't beat them up with the Bible. It's awfully quiet in here. That's <laughs> okay. But what do I do? I, I, I don't, Jesus, Jesus said this. The Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save people. So what I don't do, listen, they know deep down here they are already condemned in their lifestyle. They don't need me heaping up on that and telling them, you know, turn or burn or, you know, you go into hell because of that. No, what they need me to be is to live the life of Christ in front of them because I can do that without signing off on their lifestyle and you can too. And maybe if we would adapt that and learn how to do that in the body of Christ, we quit pushing so many people away. Now, there are going to be times when we have to stand up for the truth and not everybody wants to hear the truth. I get that. I understand that. But listen, there are going to be times when somebody who doesn't have it all together needs you. And and you're never going to reach them by saying, okay, here's what I need you to do. I need you to get yourself together. I need you to clean up. I need you to be right. And then you can come to me and we can talk about life. Okay? Ooh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right, let's go to the next phrase. Love is never envious nor boils over with jealousy. The word envy in the Greek language here portrays a person who is radically consumed with his own desires and plans. You ever been around somebody like that? This is a person so bent on getting his own way that he's willing to sacrifice anything or anyone to get it. You might describe this person as being ambitious and self-centered. And listen, there's nothing wrong with being driven. There's nothing wrong with having goals. There's nothing wrong with pressing towards something that God has called you to do. But God never called you to step on anybody on your way to that point. Okay? And so this person that is envious and and so forth, their their plans, their own plans are paramount in their mind. They're the most important things. And uh, everyone else comes after that. So write this down, please. Agape love doesn't think of itself first, but is always looking outward, thinking of the other person rather than itself. (laughs) This is fun. (laughs) I love it. All right. It's been a long time since y'all been this quiet. Okay. But agape love doesn't think of itself first, but is always looking outward, thinking of the other person rather than itself. So what you need to do, and I need to do this too, because you do understand that when I'm preparing this, I get to do the examination part first on me. And so examine your relationships at home, church, work, and ask yourself, am I I committed to seeing others blessed and successful, or am I more committed to my own cause than anyone else's? So write this down, please. If you're walking in agape love, your greatest concern is that others succeed. Now, hang with me till the end. Okay, I know this might be cutting a little bit. This might leave you a little sore, but just hold on. I've got the medicine at the end. All right, okay, so stay with me. So really, if I'm walking in agape love, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that you succeed above me. I'm going to make sure that if I'm a boss or a leader, if I'm, if I'm really functioning in the love of God the way God wants me to, my success is going to be when you succeed. And see, here's my, my measure of success as a pastor, is when you surpass me spiritually, financially, socially, physically, every, any, every area of your life. That's when I begin to know that I am successful as a pastor. When you win, I win. It's not all about me winning and me coming here and telling you how good of a winner I am. That does no good to you. Listen, I, you, you've heard me say many times that the pastor ought not to be the most wealthy person in the church. I'll not drive the nicest car in the church. You should. Okay, next phrase. Love is not boastful or vainglorious or display itself haughtily. Paul says love is not boastful. The word comes from a Greek word which means a lot of self-talk. A lot of self-talk. In other words, it describes a person who endlessly promotes himself and exaggerates his own virtues. You want me to tell you who the worst is at this right here? Preachers. Uh, I'm not going to say I despise. I dislike a lot of times going to preachers' meetings because what it ends up being is uh, hearing about whatever, what, what you got going on I'm not really interested in what you've got going on. I want to know you. Okay? And, and a lot of times, and, and I'm just being real as far as what preachers are like, you know, because a lot of times you get together with a bunch of preachers. And by the way, the, the, it's, pastors are notorious for, you know, when you're getting together. And the first question that pastors ask sometimes is, well, how many do you have in your church? My response is, not enough. As long as people are lost out there, there's not enough in here, okay? Because here's what they do. They want you to ask them so they can tell you what their numbers were last Easter and leave you with the impression that that's what they have every week. (laughs) I'm wise to that, and I don't do that. You know, I don't even take business cards with me when I go to a meeting, a minister's conference or something like that because I'm not, that's not the time for that. I'm not out passing business cards so I can get invitations to come preach at somebody else's church or nor am I getting business cards so I can ask you to come preach at my church. When the Holy Ghost tells me to invite you, I'll invite you. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Self-promotion is so outrageous that this person is usually prone to exaggeration that borders on lying. You know, you ever heard the phrase, well, I went fishing and I caught a fish and it was that big. The next time I tell the story, it was this big. The next time I tell the story, it was this big. The next time I tell the story, they had to have a crane to get it off the boat. Okay? That's what being boastful or vainglorious is all about. One Greek scholar said this, that this word that's translated, it pictures a person that's full of hot air. Another expositor said that this word refers to someone who's a windbag. Okay. I know that's none of y'all. All right. But write this down, please. Agape love doesn't go around talking about itself all the time, trying to make it look more important in the sight of others. You know what agape love does? Stands there and keeps its mouth shut. You know why? Because I don't have to brag. I don't have to. See, agape love will make you so secure and confident in who you are, who God is, that I can just love you. I don't have to know anything about your performance. I can just love you because of who you are. Am I helping anybody? Okay. See, a lot of times this happens, this exaggeration and boasting happens because people have a hidden agenda and they're trying to politic to get to a higher position instead of letting God promote you. The Bible says promotion comes from the north, talking in reference to heaven. Okay. Oftentimes, they're hoping to make the kind of impression that might give them a special status or recognition in the eyes of others. Let, let me, I'm going to use a, just tell you a quick story, just a quick story. When I became senior pastor, I won't go into all the nitty gritty of how that transpired, but you know, it was 18 years ago and I became senior pastor and uh, our, our previous pastor ran into some challenges, ended up having to resign, and he turned the church over to me as an assistant pastor. And uh, when that happened, over the next few months, every pastor that we had a relationship with as a church walked away, didn't want anything to do with us. I guess because of the drama factor or what I don't know. I, I don't know what the deal was. But every pastor that I reached out to to, and by the way, I had never been a senior pastor before and I was thrown into the middle of a mess and was tasked with cleaning the, the, the mess up. And, and so uh, I needed some help. I needed somebody that had a little more experience than me that, that could say, hey, here's what you do. Nobody except one person and I'll be forever indebted to him. And that was Robin Gould at Victory Christian Center. I called Pastor Gould up and I said, Pastor, he and I had met several times before. Uh, I worked at a church that actually was down the street from Victory. And uh, so I had met him several times before and and always, always, always very kind and very gracious to me. And so I called him up and I said, Pastor Gould, here's my situation. Here's what I'm I'm up to my neck in this situation and I need some help. He said, come see me. And for Two and a half, almost three hours, the man sat in a conference room with me and just coached me up, loved on me, uh, I mean, and prayed over me. And I'm telling you, that made the difference for me. Now, that happened here locally. So then, uh, you know, and of course, I knew I had him in my corner. And uh, so, you know, some more time progressed and uh, towards the end of, of 2006, um, I deve- and I'm not going to go into all the details, but the Lord opened the door for some friendships to take place uh, with some folks down in Houston, Texas, who, who at the time attended a little bitty church um, pastored by a guy you've probably never heard of, Lakewood Church, pastored by Joel Osteen in Houston. And uh, next thing I know, I'm down there in the middle of Lakewood Church, sitting on the front row next to Dodie Osteen, listening to Joel preach. And, And so my point is this. When everybody else walked away, what did God do? Put me in touch with one of the largest churches in Charlotte and then the largest church in the United States so that I could have a relationship with those people and and God could use them to feed into me and to help me in the situation that I was in. What's my point? My point is, is if you'll let God make the divine connections instead of you politicking and doing what you want and and trying to talk and, and make your way into situations, if you'll let God open the door, I promise you it will be a whole lot more meaningful. And enduring. Am I helping anybody? Okay. All right. So, agape love is so strong, so sure, and so confident that it doesn't need to speak of itself or its accomplishments, even if those accomplishments are greater than anyone else's. Now, I've never been around Bishop Jakes, but I understand Bishop Jakes is that way that when you get around him, he doesn't talk about himself, he wants to hear what you've got going on. I mean, and I love that. All right, here we go. Let's, let's wrap this up, all right? Love is not conceited, arrogant, inflated with pride. Paul gives the fifth characteristic of agape love when he tells us that love doesn't get puffed up, the old King James says. These words are based on Greek words which mean to be proud, swollen, or inflated. Thus, the word vividly paints the picture of a person who's filled with pride. Write this down, please. Agape love is never deceived into thinking too highly of itself, nor does it arrogantly claim that it's better than other people. (laughs) You know, agape love never has to toot its own horn. You know, there's a verse in Proverbs that I love. It's in Proverbs 27 that says this. Even a fool seems wise when he learns to keep his mouth shut. And I love that. Because there's been environments when I've been like, I wanted to talk. Because if, if, you know, my natural human tendency is this. When I get into a situation where I'm uncomfortable, my mouth wants to engage. Why? Because that helps me relieve my tension. And most of the time, I'm trying to be funny. You know, because the comedy relieves the tension. Okay? But what I've had to learn how to do when I get into uncomfortable situations, just zip it, Be quiet. And, and, and let things unfold, okay? And uh, when you do that, you give, you give the opportunity for other people to, to gain est- higher estimation in your eyes. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, let's look at the last one. Love is not rude unmannerly and does not act unbecomingly. The Greek word for unmannerly suggests a person who is tactless or thoughtless, do you, uh, is, does this describe you? You don't have to answer this. This is hypothetical, but, uh, or, or what's the word? Not hypothetical, um, where I really don't want an answer. But I'm just posing the question to you. What's that called? Thank you for your response. Okay. No, I'm just, you don't have to answer this. All right. But, but listen, um, y'all made me forget what my question is. Oh, 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 yeah. Is this you? Um, Ready, shoot, aim. With this thing right here. How many of you, don't answer. How many of you are prone to blast with your mouth and then engage your brain? Okay. Used to be me. Thank God, I've learned. I've grown a little bit. and You know, and, and uh, I'm being very, very real and transparent in all of this, but I, when I was in Bible school, I was 18 years old, out in Tulsa, going to Bible school, and my defense to protect myself was, if I can cut you with my words before you have a chance to cut me, I've won. So, I, I learned how to kind of be a smart aleck. Well, and there's other words for that, which I cannot say, but you cannot be an effective Christian and be a smart aleck, okay? And, and what got my attention is there was an older man that was in Bible school with me. We worked together at the same company after school. And uh, so he and I were, were working together and, and I, I said something and smarted off at him and, and he said, and he used the word that I cannot say And he said this, you know, you really are a smart beep. And when he said that, it's like it cut. And I was like, you know what? He's right. He is right. And so that began the process of me learning how to be thoughtful in my expression, thoughtful, have some tact about what I say, okay, Um, to consider other people. Before I open my mouth, am I helping anybody? (laughs) Okay. See, both his actions, this person, and his words tend to be rude and discourteous, and he exhibits bad manners in the way he deals with people. His language is harsh and brutal, revealing that this person is uncaring, insensitive, and unkind. And by the way, keep keep in, in your thinking, Paul is writing to Christians and telling them, don't be this way. Love is not this way. In short, we would say that this is a person who acts ugly. That's a nice way of saying it. Write this down, please. Agape love is not rude and discourteous. It is not careless or thoughtless nor does it act in a fashion that would be considered insensitive to other people. Now, I want to leave you with this, I want to do two things. Number one, I want to ask you in the process of this message, has the Holy Ghost been talking to you? Yes. Okay, you don't have to answer. What I want you to do is respond to that in a moment, all right, or all this week as you're working on this. Now, I want to just leave you with a couple of scriptures because I want to give you some hope, all right. Because here's the thing. When, you know, somebody might think, well, Pastor, if you, you know, you're up there, you're telling married couples that they need to outserve each other. You're telling people that they, they need to speak kindly. You, they, they need to do this and they need to do that. What is in it for me? If that's the way I'm supposed to behave, then what about me? That's human nature. Your flesh is going to cry out for that and say, if I'm just busy thinking about other people and serving other people, then what about my needs? All right, let me show you. Galatians 6, 7, we read this from another translation last week. Let me show you. Make no mistake about it, God will never be mocked for what you plant, will always be the very thing you harvest. Can I say this to you? Okay. Okay. A married couple, let me put it in the context of marriage. When you make up your mind and decide you're going to outserve that person, your spouse or your co-worker or family member, whoever it might be, when you make up your mind that that's what your behavior is going to be and you get your eyes off of your needs, what you've just done is allowed your needs to get on God's agenda. And God will see to it you are taken care of. And I'm telling you, God can take better care of you than you can. Well, I thought you'd be more excited about it than that. Look at this verse, Galatians 6 9. Don't allow yourselves to be weary or disheartened in planting good seeds, for the season of reaping the wonderful harvest you've planted is coming. Your harvest is coming. Say that. Say, My harvest is coming. See, if you start today doing what we're talking about and and fulfilling the agape love in your life and allowing God's love to flow out of you, the moment you begin to plant seeds, harvest is coming. Harvest is coming. Harvest is coming. It's coming. It is coming. I wish I could tell you it's coming by Friday, but I can tell you this it's coming. Harvest is coming. So as we get into these things even more, and we're really getting into the thick of this and how we're to live in the love of God, just know God's going to take care of me and these seeds that I am sowing will produce a harvest for me. I don't have to worry about me. Hallelujah. Man, I'm telling you, that's so freeing. Because you know what most of your worry and anxiety is about? You. Who, who woke up this morning or in the middle of the night last night worried about me? None of you. Now, I'm not knocking you because you know who you were worried about? You. You know who I woke up thinking about? Me. And God is saying, wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. Agape doesn't do that. Hallelujah. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church Podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.